This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Monday, April 20th. You hearing this on Tuesday, April 21st. And as always, throughout this unique process that we are all going to through, we hope this episode finds you well, healthy, staying home, staying safe, etc., And we are here to talk a little baseball, a sport that we have not seen in quite some time, Brendan. But there are are still ways to muse about the Chicago Cubs and and the goings-on of the baseball world, even absent actual baseball games to discuss. So that is what we are here to do. But, But Brendan, how does this podcast find you? The last dance event with Michael Jordan helped a lot. We saw some Cubs highlights in there with Michael throwing out the first pitch. So we got a little bit of that Chicago sports taste, if you will. So compared to last week, I'm I'm doing a little bit better. Yes, that was a, a much needed break from reality that ESPN was able to provide and will continue to provide for the next several weeks. I, I think one of the interesting things, and I've mentioned something like this before, I think we're going to talk a little bit about tying things into the last dance just because that is obviously relevant to Chicago sports and it is pretty much I think going to dominate the sports world discussion for the next several weeks I think whether you're a basketball fan or not I think as we've discussed in here before Brendan and I both are not really currently into basketball or the NBA uh, to varying degrees me not really at all but this obviously takes me back to my childhood, and this is uh, largely a lot of new content and interviews, which we are not going to get for pretty much any other sport, uh, unless you feel like watching Ian Happ play video games on Twitch. So I think this is going to dominate the discussion. But as usual, we will not be talking really about basketball. That is one of the key tenets of the Cubs-related podcast. And even mid-quarantine, Brendan, we will live up to that mantra that we will not talk about anything that is not baseball or Cubs related. That has been our promise Always. since day one. We're not breaking that today. But in the documentary, and I think it was in one of the previews that was leading up to it, Michael Jordan in one of the, the press conference talks about how 
it would be ridiculous for the Bulls to rebuild until they've stopped winning, until somebody dethrones them as the champion. I think this was after the 1997 season. It would be ridiculous for them to even discuss a rebuild because there's no guarantee that a rebuild lasts two, three, four years. And then I think he he says exactly like, look, the Cubs have been rebuilding for 42 years or, or something along those lines. And I only bring that up because it's it's one of those things where like I think several years ago that would have stung. But it, like I, since the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, which they did, I have kind of reversed my feeling on watching a lot of that stuff. I don't remember if we've talked about it on here, but like I think in the week after they won the World Series, one of the one of the things that I did was go back and watch the eighth inning from game six in 2003. Oh, I did the same thing. Because it just didn't feel the same. And I wanted to watch that knowing that they weren't cursed or in the middle of this drought anymore. Like, what does this inning look like if it doesn't bring me down to this just like massive black hole of of sadness? And and so it was Especially similar. Especially after watching that for like 15 years, a completely new perspective. Yes, it was like it was game. like watching something with glasses for if you know if you exactly. were if you had blurry yeah. vision and now I have glasses. That's what it felt <laughs> right. like to watch. Alex Gonzalez screw up that double play ball. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, Brendan, but that is the official stance of me on this podcast. You know what loses them that game, guys? Alex Gonzalez botching that double play ball. I don't want to hear about the foul ball that came before it, okay? We're not going to talk about it. There's no names being brought up on this podcast. Alex Gonzalez turns that double play. We're not talking about anything else that happens in that inning, okay? I don't even want to talk about any of that, to be honest with you. I'm not going to lie. We've, we're already we're, we're done. But I'm just saying it, it, it was similar when I heard that from Michael where, you know, I know a lot of people were like, ooh, a dig at the Cubs. And I was like, eh, so what? You know, they won the World Series. And he wasn't wrong at the time. They were rebuilding for forever and it is one of the dangers of of starting that rebuild and obviously he's proven right now as he says that they do win another championship and the minute they start to rebuild we sit here in 2020 and the bulls have not won another championship so uh it, it, color me crazy for saying this but it kind of sounds like michael jordan knows what he's talking about but <laughs> a little bit yeah so that was uh, a fascinating the first two episodes of that documentary, and we've related it back to our experience kind of growing up and and what winning basically every year for Brendan and I as young children. I think I was eight by the time they win the last one. And you just kind of get this warped sense of like, boy, sports are really fun, aren't they? Like, this is great. I love this team. They win all the time. We have a, a party. We get new t-shirts. This is great. And then, you know, the 2003 Cubs happen for us, and they teach you that this is not what sports are like, and they're actually very hard and and very uh, sad and depressing, and all those things kind of rolled into one. But there was—so we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about some things kind of related to that. Uh, I do want to do kind of our, our usual check-in with what is going on in Cubs world. And it's not that much. There's really not a lot of news. I think on some of these updates, we've had a little more going on than we do now. Ian Happ still cranking out content. I think he's struggling a little bit in that MLB The Show players series. I don't think he's... I can give him some tips because I'm quite the uh, show player myself. you got to slide so. into his DMs, man. I mean, he needs the help. I do. I do. I can tell he needs some like hitting directions let's put it that way maybe i will do i think that there's some guys in there that are clearly 
I think there are clearly some guys who are just really good at this. Yeah. I think Blake you know who's Snell... good because I know you, I know you have not watched at all. I've watched a little bit. Jeff McNeil is one of the best show players I've seen uh, in Major League Baseball. So there are some pretty impressive guys. Yeah, I think Blake Snell is really good, and I think yeah, Joey Gallo has been really yep. good as yep. well. Um, but I think he's been struggling a little bit, but that's okay. He's also putting out the podcast content and the other. He's been doing some YouTube videos. I know. I think he filmed a video of the the four guys in the compound playing tennis the other day. So if that is Very your nice. jam, you can check that out. And I, I think Brennan, the the biggest news that we have is Jason Hayward in in a quest to compete with Kevin Rizzo, which is the only way that I think is appropriate to view this. Got another puppy, and. This one, like Rottweilers are, are, are cute, especially when they're puppies. I, I think most dog breeds are cute, but I believe this new one is a Samoyed, uh, and it is white, and it's gorgeous. This is a gorgeous dog, which I, if if his hashtags and the way that he posts things are to be believed, I believe this one's name is Shy, C-H-I, and it's a beautiful dog. Now, did he? Am I reading into the fact that he felt he had to get two puppies just to keep up with Kevin Rizzo? Maybe a little bit, but adorable dogs, and a, a reminder that in another universe we would be getting content, perhaps on a regular basis, where these dogs were playing together. Maybe AJ Baez is involved. Maybe Kyler Bryant is involved at some point Eventually, when he's yeah. old enough to participate in these things. But alas, we have to rely on the Instagram stories and, and posting and things like that. But I, I, I do appreciate, Brendan, that these guys are kind of stepping up their dog content. No one's going to complain about that. Yeah, so I think that that is pretty much what we've got on a content front. Anthony Rizzo continues to do great work through his charity and through his social media channels to raise money for all sorts of different efforts. And that's kind of about it. There's a lot of these guys that we have not really heard from, and you know, I hope they're doing well, uh, but we have not gotten much out of them. I, I, I know that they did an interview on Marquee, I think, last week with Ryan Dempster, Mike Trout, and Anthony Rizzo. I, I didn't, I, I only saw clips of it. I'm not really sure. Do you know, like, where Mike Trout came from in, in all of that? No idea. Okay. But you know what? You have Mike Trout and Rizzo together. It's, that is good content. It's great content. I, I just Absolutely. remember thinking, like, where did Mike Trout come like, in why? on the, right. the Cubs right. network? Is he you know, maybe he wants to play for the Cubs in the next year or two. We'll see what happens. Oh, should we start reading into that is, is what you're saying? Yeah, I'm, I'm game with that. I'm, I'm game to start that, uh, that, that kind of mental energy <laughs> devoted to that. But the one thing I wanted to point out in that interview was Ryan Dempster asks Rizzo, firstly, Rizzo has a display of a bunch of balls that like set the record from when he gets hit because he, I think he's the Cubs all-time leader in that. And I just thought that was funny that he has like a baseball that denotes his, his hit by pitch record, uh, something that he's proud of. And I, he should be, he just has to wear it. Um, but Dempster asked him, which Cub do you miss the most? Who do you miss being around the most? And he said, John Lester. And, you know, same, Anthony. I, I mean, Do you Anthony think he's are... joking, though? Honestly. No, I don't think so. I just think he thinks it's funny to say Lester. Right. Uh, right. And I, there's just something funny about that, I think. Yeah. Their, I don't know. Their I, relationship. I, was expecting, I was expecting Bryant, uh, like, I don't know, David Ross or something, but like, 
don't know, Lester kind of came out of left field for me with that statement, but, you know, Easter own. I, well, I mean, I guess maybe people would have thought he would have said Bryant, but Lester seems pretty normal right. for 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 me. I think I would that would have been in my first few guesses. But Rizzo's face lit up when he mentioned John, so it's you know there's there's still some feel good content out there, even if we're not really uh, any closer to playing baseball than we were before. But other than that, that's kind of what we got as far as checking in with everybody, at least as as best I can tell. Uh, so I did want to turn at least quickly again, kind of uh, getting back into things with the Michael Jordan documentary. There was a good question posed by the NBC Chicago account that I thought we could muse on a little bit. And the question was, if you could have a documentary style like this, you know, say eight to 10 episodes, in-depth interviews where we talk to the players. Now we had a camera crew all over the place at the time, not just surface level footage, not just post game, but kind of like this documentary where they're at practices, they're in the dugout, they're in the clubhouse, they're at the guys' houses, etc. What period of Cubs baseball would you want that to cover? And I think this is an interesting question because you kind of have to pick which direction you want to lean. And I think that this Last Dance documentary is an interesting one because obviously you are following a team that is in the middle of winning a a second three-peat, right? And ultimately they're going to win the championship at the end of all of this. But they're going through turmoil at the same time. And a lot of backstage drama, contract disputes, direction disputes of where the organization should be going and things like that. And so it it's kind of towing that line between feel good, nostalgia, they're going to win. It's it's kind of remembering that greatness, but also digging into some of maybe the more unsavory parts of that whole saga and how it ends. And so I think there's different directions you could go with if you were doing this on the Cubs. And I know we've gotten like some documentary style stuff and things like that about different Cubs seasons. And, but I, I don't know that we've had it to this degree, especially with the interviews and things like that. And obvi- excluded from this is 2016, because we have a lot of content about that. And a lot of these guys are still on the team. That was in NBC Chicago's question, excluding 2016. So that is what we will do, because I think obviously everybody would pick that, because in case you forgot, that's when the Cubs won the World Series. So gut feeling, Brendan, and maybe you'll change your answer by the end of this, but what year would you be leaning towards first? Well, I mean, I'm weighing three different seasons or eras, and the first one that came to mind was last year, 2018-2019. And the reasoning for me picking that year was all due to Joe Madden and you go from three years ago, the very top of Joe Madden. Everyone is enamored with him despite some of the World Series decisions, but never in our craziest dreams did we imagine Madden being let go three years later. So I, I'm curious to see what the behind-the-door conversations were with Madden, with the coaches, especially with Theo and Jed. And we know... Going into the 2018-2019 seasons, they wanted things to be changed a little bit, especially for that 2019 season going into spring training. And they wanted Joe to be more involved with the situational hitting. He even turned that term into opportunity hitting. So 
I want to see what those conversations were like. And I want to see and hear some of the discussions about transitioning from the 2019 era to the 2020 era with David Ross, with hiring Craig Breslow, hiring Justin Stone, and changing really everything involved top to bottom with how the Cubs operate their baseball organization. Mm-hmm. So that that to me was my first thought. Yeah. But, and we'll get into it, but the 2003-2004 seasons, that, well, those very were different. very different, yeah. but they're transformative for a fandom. And for those reasons, right, you want to hear what happened to Sammy Sosa, what happened to Dusty Baker, what happened after Bartman, right? I know you don't want to say his name, but what happened after all of the drama that went on in that era? And we're going to talk about all these different scenarios and events and what have you. But if I were to pick right now, and I could change my answer by the time we're done recording this, it's recency bias, but that 2018, 2019, even dating back to 2017 with the whole coaching decisions with Madden, like what what the hell actually went on yeah. behind the scenes? And I think a documentary would cover some of it. Yeah, I think that there there's some some interesting answers here. And and again, I think as as usual, we're going to show our age here because I think there may be listeners out there or fans out there that would choose years prior to 2003, which I don't really think you and I are going to go to, maybe 1998, I suppose. Uh, but if if those are your choices, that's obviously fine. But I, I think yeah. Brennan and I didn't really live that or, or know enough about it to, to really want that to be the content. But I, I think you're, you're on to something with these last few years. I, it would be hard to dial in on one exact season, but there's been so many, I think you're right, in, in, in looking toward what are some of the unanswered questions and things that as fans on the outside we have wondered and kind of tried to get answers to that we haven't been able to? And I think a documentary like this Jordan one in this style would be really fascinating to see. Like, would we get answers to stuff with the budget? And like, was the were Theo and Tom on the same page? Were they on a different page? How was that all working? Like you said, this stuff with Joe Madden in the front office. What was the language like between them? Were they on the same page? Were they not on the same page when things weren't going right? How was that relationship? Because one thing that you see with The Last Dance is that it, pretty much everybody's not really pulling any punches, right? Phil Jackson is on this documentary basically just speaking his truth, right? Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf is saying things from his perspective. So is MJ, so is Scottie Pippen. Obviously, Jerry Krause is no longer with us to defend himself because obviously he's sort of just getting trashed, mostly deservedly so, in this documentary for some of the decisions he was making. But all of the guys who are participating in this documentary are offering their perspective on the decisions that he was making as a general manager and, and what was going on. And I think that that would be really fascinating to hear uh again like I don't know it it would be hard to pick like one year but I think you may be on to something with the end of Joe's tenure just because it would be really fascinating to see what those relationships were like were conversations strained and and just to hear those things now we've heard Joe talk like a little bit about this stuff we've heard Theo talk a little bit about this stuff but you can tell they're not really getting into the full story of things 
And especially with how Joe responded to some of the questions yeah. in spring training, yeah. the tone in almost like quite literally the statements were flipped in terms of what Madden was saying his expectations were from the front office. So there, there, there is something there. I'm yeah. not saying, oh, there's controversy and conflict, but naturally in the course of media and going to different teams, you're not going to get the full picture between what really went on in my Well, opinion. and I think just having some of these guys be able to expand. I, I know like Javi took a lot of flack in this offseason for bringing up that he thought there were times over the last few years where they, you know, they just weren't ready to go when the game started. They they were kind of riding their success and their skill level and and not necessarily as dialed in as as they should have been. And and you and I discussed that we totally understood what he was saying and it it was not some like oh we're lazy, we don't care whatever. Oh, whoops, we're not winning anymore. That that it was more nuanced than that. But I think having these guys be able to kind of flesh that out more in hour-long episodes like this would be pretty fascinating for some of those things, just how they go from winning the World Series to kind of deteriorating in performance each subsequent year. And I and I think especially too, like, I, and it would be painful. That's kind of part of this is that you kind of are signing up to open up some wounds that maybe you would rather not. But hearing all these guys discuss what on earth happened at the end of last season would be pretty fascinating television, don't you think? Like, it would hurt to listen Absolutely. to. I don't want to relive the 2019 season any more than any of you but do. It may not hurt, though. It may not hurt. Like, there, there is, there, there's reality, and then there's what is said to the media that's a snapshot of reality. Not saying, like, all the media is, like, making up all this stuff, but just naturally you're not going to get the complete picture. So I think with the whole Javi urgency comments that we heard in spring training that's like a semantics argument like of course Javi's trying his hardest right he's trying to get the guys going trying to get himself going but when you take a step back you get a different type of reflection of what you could do differently and what worked and what didn't work I think that's that's what was going on with Javi but you're not going to get everything that went on in a two and a half minute question from Jesse Rogers like it's just not not going to happen and you watch and I was watching the documentary and talking to my dad uh, about Michael Jordan at the same time. So I'm like asking my dad, what was it like with, with the whole situation with Scottie Pippen back then? And my dad's telling me stuff that's like he didn't even know. And but at the time, you have an idea of what's going on. But when you hear Scotty talk about it, when you hear MJ talk about it, and then Phil Jackson talk about it, right? Like you get more context to what truly happened, and it fills in some of the blanks. And there, there's there's no denying it. There's blanks in our understanding between what happened with Joe sure. Madden, Theo Epstein, and the players. And I'm I'm mostly interested too, not mostly, but really interested to hear what those exit interviews consisted of, right? Because we went from, and this is actually going into 2018 too, the exit interviews that preceded Theo Epstein's press conference in 2018 after they just lost that last game against the Rockies. I've never seen Theo so down. I guess that's the best word. And it was a mixture of disappointment and anger and frustration. But Theo's tone to me was overwhelmed by frustration. And I I did not like his tone. I did not like some of the words he used because 
I thought 48 hours after whatever it was after losing the playoffs was too fast to make those types of statements. So what went into those exit interviews between the last loss and that press conference that led Theo to an uncharacteristically down press conference? Like Those are the things that I've always questioned. I think maybe 20, 30, 40 years from now, we may get answers to what happened between the Cubs, Madden, and the downfall from the last two years. So if we were doing those years, who would you who would you be looking forward to hearing from the most? Like, who do you think would be giving us the spiciest Rizzo. kind of interviews and, and sound bites? Because I think... I think I th- I, I think Rizzo. I, I think next week is they're going to deal with the Pistons and on this ESPN doc. And I, I think everybody is assuming, I would guess rightfully so, that there's going to be some good <laughs> some good chatter in in those episodes, uh, especially when yeah. Dennis Rodman gets involved. And I, you know, I don't know if they have like Isaiah Thomas on there or any of those guys, but I would expect that of all of the chatter anything about the Bulls and the Pistons is going to be the spiciest, right? So you think Rizzo on these things would be, because he's gotten kind of, like when they talked about Chris Bryant getting traded, like he was pretty close to saying like, this is really stupid and I hate that we're even discussing this, right? Yeah, no, I think like Rizzo, he represents right now the the voice of the Cubs, the captain of the Cubs. So I think over time, he may not be willing to say it now, but over time, he's going to get more authority and respect naturally because of that position. Yeah. So I think Rizzo would be the one to give the complete context, especially because he's been involved with so many different eras of Cubs baseball from the rebuilding stage to 2015 and that stepping stone to 2016 and finally doing it to now transitioning away from that particular Madden-centric core to this new phase of Cubs baseball and this new competitive window. So Rizzo, to me, like he he has the voice to do it, but he's been around the longest that provides value and context to something that's so complicated. So yeah, like Rizzo for me would be the, the undoubtedly the the one guy I would pick. You don't think Kyle Hendricks would be throwing out some <laughs> some hot some hot takes and stuff? There was I at one point I think over the last couple of weeks the Washington Nationals did a like giant Zoom call to rewatch Game Seven and just chat with one another and and it I only know about this because it was uh, cool. Brian Dozier was banging on a trash can in the middle of the Zoom thing and so that clip went viral a little bit on Twitter, but. <laughs> Then I tweeted something to the effect of like, hey, Cubs, like, let's go, right? Like, get these guys right. together. Get me Jake Arrieta back here on a Zoom call. God, could you imagine Get these guys too? back on here and let's do a, a game oh seven rewatch. Oh, my God, re-watch. Jake Arrieta, John Lester content. We need that. Yes. That's, oh, and my God. It, it, one of the, the comments um, was about how – it would be interesting if anybody would say anything when, like, Kyle Hendricks comes out of the game. And as we always do when we talk about this stuff, we are not going to relitigate decisions from Game 7 on this podcast because they win the game and they win the World Series. So relitigate at your own peril on your own time. We're not going to do it here. But obviously the Hendricks pull is a point of contention. Whether you agree or disagree, it doesn't matter. It's clearly a storyline point in that game. And it would just be interesting if any of these guys, especially like if they're on a Zoom call, like they're obviously just chilling at home. They're probably having a drink or two. Like it would be interesting 
if Jake Arietta just chimes in and goes, "Yo, f this man!" Like, you know, what was he doing or something like <laughs> what that? What was what was that like though with the with the Nationals? Was there like any, I said, like, I, I only like saw it because kind of? there was somebody screen recorded it because Dozier had a, a trash can that he was banging on with like a wooden spoon in the middle of it, okay. and everybody was okay. laughing and all that other stuff. But it okay. looked fun. Yeah, no, if you could get we're 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 off topic a little bit here, but if you could get Arietta, like Miguel Montero, get these guys back, like Dexter Fowler, like I think oh that would be. Uh, you know what though? Like, like speaking about Miguel Montero, right? Like, what the hell happened with him and Arietta and Rizzo the day he got released? Yeah. Right? Like, like those are the that types of situations. Yeah. Oh, that would be unreal. And I feel like like Mickey is still involved in Cubs culture. Like he still, I know he communicates with Club Four Hundred, right? Like he was at yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, events. So, I mean, Mickey's still cool with the Cubs. So what what went down? And getting Mickey's thoughts would be, I don't know, would, would be fun. Yeah. So that's, uh, <laughs> I think those would be, just because I, I, I really brought that up because I was thinking of who would be offering the, the spiciest takes. And my mind immediately goes to Jake Arrieta and John Lackey. I think those two <laughs> guys, not surprisingly, not would offer up the most like honest and just sort of like forthright thoughts about what was going on and and you kind of get a little bit like when you listen to John Lester and Mike Napoli talk on like Ian Happ's podcast and things like that you get kind of a little bit of I think maybe like a preview of that but I but John is not really that type of guy John's I don't think gonna go like nuclear on anybody uh I think he's content to just sort of live his life and whatever happened happened and but, like, I think John Lackey and Jake Arrieta would be like, you want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. You know, like, <laughs> let's talk about what happened. You guys want to know? Like, we can talk about it. And, you know, I think Lackey would be the type to pretty bluntly just be like, you know, look, at like this point I thought this guy was too soft and the attitude in the locker room was this and we needed to change that and I was cussing at this guy and, you know, I, I, that's that's just what my guess would be. But maybe I'm wrong about that. But that's 2016 content, so... Well, I guess they would both be there for 2017. They could do that too. Yeah. But like to your point about Lester and not, you know, his willingness to not, not talk down, but like give more detail than necessary. I I think he would do that in like 10 to 20 years. You look at those interviews he did with uh, CC Sabathia and Ian Mm Happ. He gave more context than I imagined, even after 2016, like talking about the rain delay and whatnot. But that being said, the one guy that I think would give the most context and the most willingness to talk would, would be Theo. Not right now, but 20 years from now when he's in a different job yeah. or whatever he's going to be yeah. doing in 20 years. Because Theo, Theo's a media guy by nature. Like he wanted to be a journalist when he first went to school. And there's no, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a reason why he's been mostly like phenomenal with the media and so open and transparent. He would give unbelievable answers in 20 years. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, he might be the president in 20 years on his <laughs> current trajectory. So that's true. We'll see what he's able to talk about if that's the case. But I, th- so there are some good answers, and I, and I, but I do think that like at least for the for the moment, perhaps these last few years might provide the most interesting content because I just think there there's so many questions, and like even if you looked at, I'm I'm like blanking on even which year it is. They all kind of blend together, but like the Bryce Harper Manny Machado off season. There, there was yeah. so much about that that we just don't understand as fans, and we may never get answers to. And a lot of the stuff that was happening with the Bulls that they're talking about was public. You know, like some of the, the points that they're making now or some of their discussions 
we hadn't necessarily heard. But, you know, it's not like some of this stuff was like, you know, wait a minute, what? Jerry Krause was going to do what? It's like, no, this yeah. this was like everybody knew this. They're talking, you know, they're playing old sports center clips where they're talking about the, this kind of inner inner turmoil and stuff. But I think it you'd at least expect some of this to be touched on, even if we didn't get the exact answers. Like, I would love to hear anybody, really, Theo, Tom, Anthony, any of these guys talk about, like, okay, like, just bluntly, the fan base thought you were going to get Bryce Harper, and it kind of seems like that was never even entertained, and that the money was never there, and this was never going to happen. What what happened? What was everybody missing? Theo, who were you talking about when you said, like, we're saving for generational talents and stuff like that in, in the other off-seasons? Like, what on earth happened here? And maybe we'll never get an answer to that, but I think if you're digging into, like, these last few years and what would be the can't-miss content that would, like, really change how you looked at things and how they happened in the past, I think that's it. I think that's like really the 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 good stuff, but I, there there's so much in there. The Madden stuff is fascinating too, and it would be fascinating to hear like depending on when they did this. I mean, obviously they're having these discussions about the Bulls. Uh, what some twenty two years later? So flash forward twenty two years from now and go back and see what Joe Madden thinks about all of this because I think it's easy to look at his opinions now. He's with a new team. This just happened, you know. And how does time kind of inform these opinions? I, I think those would be fascinating discussions. There is a mystical quality to two thousand three and two thousand four. Yes, let's go so, back a little bit. Yeah. So what I mean by that, and looking now, Brendan, at are, you, are all... you skipping? Are you saying you don't want to watch a ten-part <laughs> documentary on the failure of the two thousand eight Cubs? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I'll watch anything, man. You know how I am. That would be but brutal. <laughs> that that actually would be good content with Lupinella. Just yeah. saying. Anyway, that that being said, there was this like mystical nature of two thousand three and two thousand four that still exists today because we don't have social media. And, and to a degree, two thousand eight falls under that same umbrella. But though during those years, 2003, 2004, like I'm, I'm watching half the games on game day. I'm like watching, especially in 2004, like don't, don't, don't quote me here, but I think the very last out of that season was Corey Patterson striking out. And I'm watching that. I, I stole my mom's phone to watch that on this like weird, like old app, whatever it was, a flip phone. So that, that's how I took in most of the season and most of that era. There is a side that I genuinely wonder and missed. Like, what what happened there? How did we go from, you know, no Mar Garcia para and all the excitement to collapsing in 2004? And more importantly, how did we go from being so close to the World Series in, to, to a degree we know with, with the injuries, but going from so high to so low back up to competitive in 2007, what went wrong there and getting content from Jim Hendry and the sale of the Cubs and Sam Zell and the Tribune and all the drama that goes on there. That 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 is something that we have literally, Corey, no idea what happened. We have a little bit of an idea what happened with 2018, 2019 because of social media and because of the influx right. of media in general. But that era, we're, we're blinded to a degree. Yeah, so I think they're they're very they're, they would be very different ten part documentaries. Two thousand three <laughs> would be I think 
very fun to watch that all come together because obviously it's something that we experienced but like I was what 12 at the time yeah you were what 10 is that math right yeah so our experience with it is a little different than obviously what would have been going on in reality and I certainly was not there didn't exist and I wasn't consuming whatever it was the the amount of like media and interviews and just sort of like constant documentation that we have now right like now the Cubs play a series in St. Louis and Sahadev Sharma at the Athletic has a 20 page write-up of every single thing that (laughs) happened over the course of the weekend every word that everybody said to one another like what happened in the health room and things like that and we can read it basically the next Monday right like we didn't really have that at the time and so I think especially in 2003 it would have been fascinating to follow along with the like kind of like uh the Cubs are good guys like they're like in the thick of this like this is kind of turning into a thing you know like and just sort of seeing how that would have progressed just you know from all these interviews I think it's it's also you know any content that we can get that involves just what it was like to be around some of these guys what it was like to be around you know because that's obviously even still a a pretty interesting portion of Sammy Sosa's career and what that was like Mm -hmm. to be around and have him in the in the clubhouse and just as part of the team Mark Pryor uh, Kerry Wood like what is that like when these guys are on the mound and doing the things that they're doing in that particular year and what what is it like to be one of their teammates? What is it like to be one of them in in that stuff? And we've gotten interviews and stuff like that. But the whole point of this conversation is we're talking a 10-part ESPN documentary that is like unearthing anything that they can unearth. They're sitting on footage for 20 years, right? And they're just going to drop it on us. And I, I think that would be pretty fascinating. It, it would also be, you know, again, like I was – I I went to Game 7 in 2003 against the Marlins. I have the image of Paul Bacco flying out to left. Oh, my God. Burned into my brain. It'll never go away. Jeff Conine catches it, <sighs> celebrates, flipped to Juan Pierre. And Luis Pudge, Castillo. man. Oh. I don't know if I hated anybody more than Pudge God, when I was a kid, Pudge's man. damn reaction, dude. <laughs> yeah, but, like, yeah. I remember being at that game, but we went to – we did the the trip to Springfield – uh, the the capital of Illinois, which I you know I, we did that in junior high. I don't know when everybody else did that, but I think that was a thing for most people that went to school in a Chicago suburb. And so, like my experience with the 2003 season, like really ended the minute that ball is caught because we went off to Springfield and I was just miserable and trying to avoid any mention or discussion of the Cubs, of the the World Series, of anything like that. And so I think it would be fascinating to like what all that was like, what that series was like on the inside, what the aftermath was like inside that clubhouse and, and into that off season. Cause it, at least for me again, like I was, I was, I wasn't even a teenager yet. So like, I just don't remember what that was like. I just remember being miserable and, and having to, to move on very quickly because all the White Sox fans at school were waiting for me the next morning, oh you know, like God, a, a, a pack of predators. Like, here comes Corey, the loudest Cubs fan we know. So congrats. Were you a smack talker at that age when you were No, but I was definitely the kid wearing a Cubs hat or some sort of merch every day of my life. You, know? you may not have started anything, but you, you responded. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm happy well. to get involved. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I th- I think 
I think that would be a wild ride. 2004 might be the more entertaining content, though, because 2004 is just a mess, like a beautiful, chaotic, horrible mess. And if we were talking about, like, when, when you add, like, if you, if you set out to ask the question in any of these years and, and thought, like, okay, the most interesting question that we can ask, perhaps, is what went wrong? What happened here? 2004 is pretty much a goldmine for whatever that answer is. And it is just a crazy thing to look back on now and try to decipher because they come into that season with just astronomical expectations. They're, I, I think we all remember that picture of the rotation that they have, you know, kind of lined up holding the balls out there with Wood, Pryor, Zambrano, Maddox, and Matt Clement. It's kind of an iconic picture. And they, like you said, they trade for Nomar at the deadline. He comes over. I remember that game at Wrigley Field so vividly and how electric that crowd was when yeah. it was Nomar's debut and it was also Greg Maddox going for win 300. I mean, you want to talk about just electricity at a ballpark and that was it. Dude, I think Nomar during that time, like he instantly became like my favorite player. Like I, I, he, I love Mark Pryor, love Corey Patterson, but he Nomar was just such was, a big, it, it's hard a, to, I'm not sure that like, we have a good comparison to that because it was just like, I mean, he was such a big name. He was a superstar. Yeah, he was a huge, and obviously that wasn't the the peak of his career, but like- It was him, A-Rod, and and, uh, Jeter. Yeah. They were like the big three of The Cubs had acquired, like for, especially for kids our age, like they had acquired, this is one of the big names. I mean, like this is one of the guys that, that you can- acquire like and and obviously it was a little later and again like these are not the the peaks of their career but it kind of reminds you when the White Sox traded for Ken Griffey Jr. you know you're just like whoa like he may not be he's not in his prime or anything like that but like this is Ken Griffey Jr. like this is crazy (laughs) and that's how Mm -hmm. it felt with Nomar and like the team had already done what they did in 2003 and you're thinking oh man like this this is just this has got to be the group and it just falls off the rails and I I, we've talked about it before, but like those games against the Reds, like Austin Kearns in oh. the Reds, the game that they lose in New York at the end of that season, where I think it's like the Mets, like third string catcher hits a walk off home run. Am I remembering that correctly? I, I, it's out of my brain at this point. <laughs> so let me bad. let me bring that back for you. But like, it's just such a a chaotic mess and like I always talk with my dad and I, I I'm gonna try to pull up the uh box score here but I, I know they they play a game against the Reds at Wrigley down the stretch where they win and I think they hit back-to-back home runs at some point in this game and I remember like being at that game and thinking and like leaving and it was the last game that we had gone to as a family and my dad would know the exact record but when my dad and I went to games in 2004 we didn't have season tickets yet but I want to say that when me and just my dad we we won some other games but we also lost some games when it was just me and my dad they were like 12 and 0 when we went to these games and this was the last game that we went to it was at Wrigley the Cubs won, they beat the Reds, and you're thinking, okay, like, you know, they're, I, I think they were, were gunning for the wild card even at that point. 
and you're like, okay, like this is going to be fine, and it just it is a complete and utter mess uh, from the end of that season. It, it never gets back to together, and that's just it. And I I remember some of this so vividly. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. The the, the Cubs win. 12 to 5 against the Reds on September 27th, 2004. And in the, let's see, the bottom of the fourth inning, Corey Patterson and Derek Lee hit back to back home runs. And they just go on and win. You're feeling good. And I think they drop all but one of the rest of the games, the the entire rest of the season. I think that's like the second to last game they they even win. They win that game 12 to 5, then they lose three straight to the Reds, two to the Braves, and then they win on the last day of the season, but I think they're already out by that point. So I think that would be a a fascinating 10-part documentary just because, just again, like the expectations that they had and like you brought up, I don't know how they would necessarily work that into a documentary but that group is you know obviously there's there's some transitions and there's some constants but but that's it like 2005 and 2006 they're terrible and the the teams that end up making the playoffs in 2007 and 2008 obviously you know Derek Lee is still there Ramos Ramirez is still there 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 are some constants but it's largely a different group now Zambrano is the leader of that rotation you know Pryor's gone Kerry Wood is is not playing that same role like it, it's it's a completely different group that by that point and so 2004 I think would be fascinating because you just start with like the biggest of expectations it completely falls off the rail in spectacular fashion I mean the way that they lose <laughs> that wild card at the end of that season is the stuff of absolute nightmares and then they're just terrible for a couple years and it's just like all right well that was fun like they they get five outs from the world series in 2003 and that's and it's the way it's it. the way like it ended though too like sammy's gone and then you feel like you just lost a part of right. uh, this core right. cubs culture but you still have nomar right and then nomar tears his groin oh, in st louis I, I i remember exactly where i was when i was watching this i was like sitting on the ground in my parents' house, and Nomar hits that ground ball, and you don't see him running the first base. I'm like, where, where the hell is Nomar? The next shot is him grimacing, holding his leg. Corey, that moment is one of the most tragic moments of my Cubs fandom life. I, I, I cried. Like I, I, I knew at that point that was the last we may ever see of Nomar in a Cubs uniform. Like I, I, I knew that much at that time traumatic the way they went from 2004 and the expectations that yeah after 2003 we're going we're going to the world series we have the team now to 2005 you lost nomar you lost sosa prior is throwing towels he breaks his elbow we have all this stuff going on from the consequences of tripping over marcus giles to second base like everything is collapsing that was that was a rough time in our cubs fandom no for sure and wow. and I think it would be interesting to hear back. I mean, especially like I don't know how many interviews or, or discussions, but you know, I think a lot of guys. It would just be interesting to hear their perspective on things. I mean, just to hear Dusty Baker be allowed. You know, again, especially if this was like so many years in the future for this particular season, it would be like for basically ten years from now, it'd be the equivalent of this Bulls doc. 
and it would just be fascinating like just let Dusty Baker talk like dude you get ripped all the time for how many pitches you let these guys throw you get blamed pretty much exclusively for these guys not living up to their full potential and having a career ripe with injuries what do you think about that like talk to us about that like let's get Larry Rothschild on here let's talk about this like why was this guy throwing 130 pitches in these games do you have a response to all these people who, you know, what was going on behind the scenes where when people say that, you're like, you don't know what was going on. You know, like when I let him throw that many pitches, you know, who knows, right? Like, I don't know what he would say really to, to that. I know he brushes it off in in some of the conversations that I've seen because obviously, I mean, he's not just going to be like, yeah, my bad. Or, you know, you guys are idiots. <laughs> right. Like he's, you know, he's just like, eh, whatever, that's in the past. Like, it, you know, it is what it is. But to, to really let them go kind of unhinged on it, like I think there are some really hard-hitting questions for for that stuff. And obviously, I mean, like we ask those questions about Sammy all the time. It's We were just talking about this and, and his relationship with the current team and how it, it kind of seems that the organization is looking for a little more contrition on his part for some of his uh, you know, many transgressions, really. Uh, even though he's obviously kind of a, a pillar of why so many people became Cubs fans or still Cubs fans, etc. So there would be a lot of material there. So I, 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 I think it's pretty clear that's where we're landing. I think that 2004 period or these last couple years, I think would be uh, the most fascinating. Like, I think 2015 would be great, but that's, you know, probably just like your standard feel good. Like, here's this team coming together and realizing they can win and some of those other cliches. Like, but if we're going for like, what's the, the kind of like nastiest, like grittiest ESPN documentary that they can give us where people are like glued to their television because of the stuff that is coming out of some of these guys' mouths, I think it's, either these last couple years, get Joe Madden, Tom Ricketts, Theo Epstein involved, kind of give us the dirt, or let's go back to 2004 and somebody explain what on earth happened to that team. If you had to pick one now, right now, what would you pick? Well, I mean, I think... And it's okay. If it's okay that you had this recency. Yeah, I mean, I involved. think it's okay. Yeah, my, my initial response is I want answers to this stuff because it relates to the team now. <laughs> yeah. But I think right. the a two thousand four one. If we really had all that footage and like really had everybody back to do these talking heads and everybody's just sort of speaking honestly and things like that, I think that would be the better documentary. I think that would be really yeah. fascinating to dissect just an absolute mess of of a season. There are more things that are unclear during that era than there are during this era. Like, like we 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 know generally the issues at hand. We know the miscommunication with uh, with Joe Madden and not miscommunication, but the failures of implementing all these new different type of situational hitting. All that we know the failures. We know the attempts. We know what's being said. We don't know the complete nature of all of it. But two thousand three, two thousand four, Sammy Sosa everything involved there it's behind closed doors we don't have answers to dusty baker's decision to keep mark Pryor in all the time and have him throw 200 plus innings and basically contribute to one of his uh you know all of his injuries so we don't have those answers there's more uncertainties and some some uh, i guess more unknowns from that era compared to now so if, if, I, if i were to pick and we step aside from the recency and we put ourselves in the position 10 years from now, probably that 2003 era. I, I, I think so, just because you have so much of these unknowns 
and maybe things change. Maybe in the next year or two or three years, what happens with this current Cubs era ties in to the 2018-2019 Cubs. But as I'm thinking right now, I, I, I want to know, and you brought up great points, what were the decision-making processes involved in throwing Mark Pereira out there so much? What was the decision like of going out and getting Nomar Garcia par? And by the way, they got Matt Merton back in that deal, an underrated addition in that deal. Uh, what were the decisions being discussed with the ownership, with the looming cup sale, was it even discussed in 2004, 2005? Like th- those are the issues I think there's more, un- there's more uncertainty there that would be more conducive to like a drama type documentary. Yeah, agreed. It would be rough, I think, to sit through. But again, and kind of why I prefaced all of this this way, like I think it's all just different now that they won the World Series. The The more current teams and kind of like digging into these the Joe Madden stuff the Bryce Harper offseason things like that that one would kind of hurt now right because it's like this current team and like they they haven't won again obviously but like 2004 2003 it's like it doesn't it it doesn't really hurt me anymore at least the same as it used to I, I mean I I was pretty traumatized by especially 2003 for quite some time more so than, you know, even leading up to like 2015. 2003 stung more than 07 and 08. It just, it was hard to get rid of that. And it just doesn't anymore. They win the World Series. They they overcame it. All of the stuff that those teams were carrying on their backs just isn't there anymore. So I think it's kind of a, it's it's just sort of a different perspective on things but mm. curious if you know any of you have uh different answers Th- those were you know pretty much i think a lot of the answers that i saw i mean i think a lot of people would take basically as much content as they can get on like the 1969 team 1984 team um but there you know there has been some uh, you know some in-depth content on on those things as well so uh hard to know you know what we would really be getting but those are those are our answers um and so with that, that's kind of what we got, guys. There is not really a new update as far as the MLB is concerned. I mean, I think pretty similar as we've been saying, they're they're clearly keen on doing something and whatever the maximum level they're able to get out. But we haven't really gotten an update on that. And I know in one of these recent interviews, Anthony Rizzo did bring up Chris Bryant specifically in saying like what he would view as kind of a hurdle for these, you know, this kind of like Arizona or bust or the Arizona, Florida plan, whichever one they, you know, are leaning toward or whatever, you know, and just being like, this is going to be interesting to get some of these guys on board with this. A lot of guys have kids and families that are in different places and, and, you know, not in Arizona. And how are you going to convince them to do this? Is, is Chris going to be able to move his wife and his newborn baby to Arizona? How does that work with whatever quarantining rules they would have in, you know, if they're living in a, you know, Olympic style village or whatever they end up doing, you know, are you going to get guys on board with this? And I don't know, I don't know if you, you know better than I do, Brendan, like what, it, like if the players could just be like, yeah, no, 
Like, I'm good. No, thanks. Uh, so, I, you know, like, I don't know on that, but it, it does seem tough. And like, obviously, you know, Chris Bryant isn't alone in having kids. John Lester has kids that are older. Some of these guys are in, in different situations. And, you know, I also don't think that someone like Rizzo, for example, who doesn't have kids, uh, well, human kids, but like, I don't think that they should be like left out of this conversation simply because they don't have kids. It's like, it's still a consideration for Anthony just as well. His parents and his brother and his nephew, like they live in Florida. And so if they were all going to Arizona, are they going to be on board if the situation is you're going to Arizona until the season is complete? If there's changes in medicine and advances there, then fine. But otherwise, you know, you got a plan to be in Arizona, locked down, playing baseball for four to five months. Is that something that these guys are going to be on board with, whether they have large nuclear families or not? I, you know, I, I don't know. And, and I think that there's going to be at least some response to that where it's like, you know, look, these guys are, are still making a lot of money. This is their job. And if this is what they are told to do, then they ought to go do it. But I don't know that I really agree with that. I, I mean, I don't necessarily, I'm not saying that they should make all this money and, and just do nothing. Um, but this, that's a pretty big consideration and it's not what any of these guys signed up for, right? Like it's, it's not part of the deal that they have to be locked down in Arizona for four months at a time in, you know, in a hotel and stuff like that and, and figuring all this out that that's, that's not really part of the deal. I, we've talked about how, you know, a lot of people rely on, these sports leagues and and the jobs and the the companies at the the television networks and things like that you know there's a lot of things at play here to be considered but i i do think it's it's an interesting point where you just might have guys who are really not super thrilled about having to do that and and the way that it kind of disrupts their their lives and so how the MLB and how the MLB players association are going to go about navigating that i don't really know but as I was saying, we don't really have much of an update here. Uh, this is kind of where we're at. Uh, the stay-at-home orders are, you know, still in place in a lot of places. that are being extended in a lot of places, and we're we're not all in much of a different spot than we have been pretty much the entire time that we've been talking to you guys. Other than you know, the MLB has kind of leaked some of these ideas every now and again, but we don't have a new one. So it kind of seems like something involving Arizona, maybe Florida is going to be the yeah. best that they're going to be able to do and and you know maybe what they are looking at unless things change that being that being said talking to people who work in the sports we hear reports about Arizona but they are still following the same uncertainties that everyone else is following so Arizona's one of the possibilities on the table we heard Jeff pass and say it's Arizona or bust that being said there's other people saying that might not be the case. So the reality is we might still have a possibility that it's not going to be Arizona or bus. We just we just don't know, right? Like to even talk about are the players going to be willing to play in Arizona for the entire year with no family? Like that that's a possibility. But until we have some clarity on scenarios where the country can go and certain pockets that can quote unquote reopen we kind of have to wait and see i mean baseball is not just a player centric league we're talking about 
thousands of potential employees being impacted and having to come together and try to strategically plan to face those types of problems within the league's infrastructure and not just playing baseball games, right? So it's it's a multifaceted issue. And we keep saying like multifaceted, but this this is quite literally uncharted territory. And it changes by the day, changes by the hour. And for all we know, in a few weeks from now, things could be in a different a different world. I mean, quite literally. So until that happens, until we have a clear direction, personally, I'm not exhausting like a lot of effort trying to think about the possibilities. I know it's hard to not focus on baseball and try to think about that, but the reality is like this is so unknown that there could be a million different scenarios in place where it's impossible to consider every single one of them. Yeah. So that is kind of where we are at. We will, uh, again, keep trying to find random things to talk about. Uh, you know, we got a Matt Merton name drop in here today. You never know what you're going to find on the, the Cubs-related podcast mid-quarantine. Things things are going to get a little wacky here, but we will see what other interesting questions come up, what other updates we have from the state of Major League Baseball and things like that. I know there was a lot of talk today. Uh, the Cubs were one of the teams to come out and say that, you know, they're going to be paying their employees and, and, and the people that work for them through the month of May, I believe. And there, you know, there were some teams yet to make that announcement, but I did see that from a lot of teams today. So that is good. And, you know, this is uh, clearly something that everybody's taking like kind of on a month by month, you know, week by week basis. And like Brendan said, you know, it may end up being a day-to-day basis if things change in a certain direction. So, we will keep you up to date as much as we can with that. As always, if there's ever something we really need to talk about or want to talk about, we'll jump on here as many times as we feel like. Uh, but otherwise, I think, you know, again, for now, I think we're going to stick to once a week just because we do not want to ask you guys to sit through an hour of us talking about the 2004 Cubs multiple times a week. That's not fair to anybody, include mostly you guys. Uh, but if stuff comes up, where we'll jump on. We, we, you know, look, I mean, it's uh, the end of April, basically, at this point. We were very much hoping to be talking to you guys at least twice a week at this point about what was hopefully going to be an interesting and good season of Cubs baseball. Uh, So this is not how we want to do things, but this is just kind of uh, where the world is at at this point. So stick with us as always, especially through this process. Uh, We appreciate you guys tuning in. And again, we'll continue to reiterate uh, very sincerely, hopefully, that these episodes are finding you guys in a good place, that you are able to navigate what is going on in the world as far as your health, your job, your just general sanity. Uh, We're we're hoping that you guys are in a good place uh, and are able to get through this one way or another and that we can all at some point rejoin together to watch baseball and talk about the Cubs and and watch a a Cubs season as we would normally. Uh, So again, thank you guys for joining us. We will talk to you again soon. And whether we are talking about uh, who would make the spiciest documentary takes or watching actual baseball games, we always end by saying, go Cubs. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. 
the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.